This week, you've got tragic wrestling dramas, gargantuan war documentaries, and even a classic rom-com all coming to your screens this week. And I'm here to serve them up for you on this episode of Film Feeder. Hello and welcome back to the show where every week I, your film chef extraordinaire Jack Martin, deliver all the exciting details about the newest releases coming to screens big and small, and also give my analytical opinions on a couple of the biggest releases out there. But before we get started on what is quite a packed week for films all around, make sure that you're following this podcast on whichever platform you're listening to it on, so that you can get new episodes directly to your feed every week. And also don't forget to follow Film Feeder on various social media channels like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and others, the handles and links to which you can find in the episode description. Also, don't forget to visit the Film Feeder website at filmfeeder.co.uk, which is the only place online where you can find all of my written content from the past decade to the present day. And if you want to support me even further, then consider subscribing to me on Patreon at patreon.com filmfeeder, where paid patrons can get access to exclusive perks such as early access to certain episodes, the ability to vote on future episode topics, and much more. Also, one more quick announcement. Later on this week, I'll be dropping the very first feature presentation episode of Film Feeder. This is a separate series where once a month I will be going into great length about a particular subject, whether it's an old film or a particular actor or filmmaker, or just any old regular film-related topic that I happen to find interesting. And this first episode covers the recently revealed Oscar nominations, where I and special guests Austin Belzer of Austin B Media and film critic Ayush Sharma discuss some of the most prominent categories as well as some of the most overlooked snubs, and also our predictions for who will take home the gold on Oscar night. So you can look forward to that special episode of Film Feeder when it drops later on in the week. Right, now that the housekeeping is out of the way, let's dive right into this week's movie menu. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. As I mentioned earlier, this week sees the arrival of several new films to UK screens from across the board, from cinema releases to streaming and on-demand titles, to even a fair number of re-releases that are making their way back to the big screen, or in some cases for the very first time. But perhaps the most noteworthy release to look forward to this week is The Iron Claw, the much-buzzed-about wrestling drama from writer-director Sean Durkin, who previously made films like Martha Marcy May Marlene, which launched the career of Elizabeth Olsen, and the mysterious family drama The Nest, which starred Jude Law and Carrie Coon, and whose latest film is worth checking out in so many ways, and here are just five reasons as to why you should be excited for it. Reason number one, at the risk of sounding a bit like Dominic Toretto, this one is very much about family. Specifically the Von Erich clan, which was a prominent family of wrestlers in the 1980s that eventually met a number of extremely tragic circumstances. And it's those particular tragedies that are explored in Durkin's film, in powerful heartbreaking ways that will get all of your emotions into the ring. Number two, as with Durkin's other movies, this one comes with its own level of star power, with an ensemble cast that includes Zac Efron, Harris Dickinson, The Bear star Jeremy Allen White, Holt McCallany, Maura Tierney, and Lily James, all of whom give some exceptional performances, including Efron, who gives perhaps the best performance of his career in this film, and dive into the central tragedy with awesome might. 
Speaking of that tragedy, the third reason has to do with the fact that Durkin has apparently been wanting to make a film about the Von Erich wrestling dynasty for years, having grown up watching them perform and being personally saddened by what ended up happening to them. So The Iron Claw is very much a passion project for the filmmaker, and going by how it's already gone over with critics and audiences alike, it might just be his best film to date. The fourth reason should appeal to most wrestling fans out there, for the fights themselves are shot with a true ferocity to them, enough to where your adrenaline is given a serious boost with how well they are performed, but never enough to distract from the raw human drama at its centre, which remains the true main attraction of this film, with the wrestling scene serving as a fun aside. And finally, number five is that unlike most wrestling dramas, of which there are surprisingly few, this one really cuts to the core of the people inside the ring, who are facing personal challenges that are considered more painful than any body slam, and are just as human as everyone else, even underneath all the muscles and flamboyant costumes and haircuts. I'll have more to say about the Iron Claw later on in the show, but for now, these five reasons should at the very least get you excited for the film when it arrives in UK cinemas via distributor Lionsgate on Friday the 9th of February. As for other cinema releases this week, the British urban youth drama makes a comeback with Gassed Up, the narrative feature debut of BAFTA-nominated filmmaker George Amponsa, who brings to life a script co-written by Taz Schuyler, whom viewers of Netflix's One Piece may recognise as Sanji. It's about a young moped gang in London that's resorted to petty theft in order to survive, but things take a more sinister turn when they're drawn into the web of a dangerous Albanian crime family, forcing members like Ash, played by Stephen Odubola of Blue Story fame, to choose between his close ones and his lavish criminal lifestyle. It's already a crowd hit, having won the Audience Award for Best Feature at last year's BFI London Film Festival, and with some immersive action sequences shot partially on GoPro cameras, there's also a fair bit of action to keep the suspense alive, all of which should arouse your curiosity for Gassed Up, which Vertigo Releasing is bringing to cinemas on Friday the 9th of February, before it comes to Prime Video on the 29th of March. Next up is writer-director Felipe Galvez Haberle's revisionist western The Settlers, which tells the story of a small group of men, including a British soldier played by Mark Stanley, an American mercenary played by Benjamin Westfall, and a Chilean mestizo played by Camilo Arancibia, who have been tasked with embarking on an expedition across the Tierra del Fuego archipelago in the late 19th century, with their mission being to secure the land and property of a wealthy businessman, but they soon realise that their administrative expedition is a much deadlier hunt for the indigenous indigenous population of the archipelago, putting them at odds with their employers and even each other. It's a film that covers the disgraceful historical genocide of the indigenous Selknam people in South America, in ways that are considerably more horrifying than even Martin Scorsese's grim depiction of native murder in Killers of the Flower Moon. And the first-time filmmaker tells a stark but essential slice of history with a bleak and unforgiving tone that requires a strong stomach. So if you're up for it, then The Settlers goes on general theatrical release via Mubi on the 9th of February. Speaking of Killers of the Flower Moon, if the mere mention of Scorsese's recent epic has you in the mood for another gargantuan slice of history by an acclaimed Oscar-winning director, then look no further than the new documentary Occupied City, which comes from filmmaker Steve McQueen, who of course won the Best Picture Prize for 12 Years a Slave. McQueen's film explores the Nazi occupation of Amsterdam during the Second World War, which is also weaved in with more modern scenes of the city, where the pandemic and general frustration has given way to protests and a growing desire for change. And there's certainly no stone left unturned when covering this particular topic, especially since the film runs for a whopping four hours and six minutes. But don't worry, there's a 15-minute intermission included in that runtime, so you'll at least have the opportunity to stretch your legs and use the bathroom in between scenes of horrific Jewish persecution and modern discontent within the Netherlands capital. 
So if spending one-sixth of your day watching an intricate and heavily detailed depiction of history sounds like something you'd be up for, then check out Occupied City when it comes to cinemas through distributor Modern Films on the 9th of February. Then I have a much shorter documentary to share with you, and this one is called Your Fat Friend, which follows the story of Aubrey Gordon, the online personality who became known for her anonymous blog, where she explored society's issues with fatness, and went on to publish a best-selling book titled What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, in which she sought to change people's views on larger body sizes. This comes from award-winning filmmaker Jeannie Finlay, who offers a gentle and comforting look into what it is to exist as a person with a larger body mass, which is quite significant for someone like me, who for years has struggled with judgement from strangers and even close ones about my own body size. So I feel that this film is vital for anyone who has ever been made to feel less human because they happen to be bigger than what society deems. So make sure that you seek out your fat friend in cinemas on Friday the 9th of February. The last theatrical release I have for you this week is more for families with very young children who are looking for something pleasant and colourful to entertain the little ones this upcoming half term. And Signature Entertainment has just the one for you with their animated adventure The Jungle Bunch World Tour. This is both a continuation of the hit cartoon show from France and a sequel to the 2017 feature-length spin-off, in which a group of cuddly jungle creatures set out on a globe-trotting journey to save their home after it is coated in a mysterious pink foam. And it's filled with silly animal antics that young kids can giggle at, as well as some smooth animation that their parents can also appreciate. So once again, if you're looking for something to take the kids to this half-term, then you can do no worse than the Jungle Bunch World Tour, which arrives in cinemas on Friday the 9th of February. Now let's move on to the week's streaming and on-demand releases, starting off with Prime Video's new romantic comedy Upgraded, starring former Riverdale star Camilla Mendes as Anna, an ambitious art intern who, whilst travelling to London for a work trip, gets upgraded to first class and meets a handsome passenger played by Shadow and Bone star Archie Renault. But the catch is that he thinks that she is her demanding boss Claire, who's Marissa Tomei, and so she goes along with the facade that at first brings romance an opportunity until it of course threatens to spiral out of control. So it sounds like a fun and engaging rom-com with plenty of mishaps and misunderstandings, with an irresistible warm heart at its centre to tide you over until Valentine's Day next week. So make sure that you check out Upgraded when it comes to Prime Video on the 9th of February. Over on Disney Plus, or Hulu in the US, straight out of this year's Sundance Film Festival comes Suncoast, a delightful coming-of-age comedy drama that writer-director Laura Chin based on her own experiences as a teenager, with her fictional counterpart being Doris, played by Nico Parker, who in the year 2005 is helping her mother Laura Linney take care of her terminally ill brother who's just been moved into a new hospice. And along the way, she strikes up a friendship with Woody Harrelson as an eccentric activist who's protesting the landmark real-life case of Terry Schiavo, which at the time raised significant debate about the right to life amidst an unsteady political climate. So it's a teenage story that's got plenty on its mind, particularly when it comes to life-threatening illnesses and what is considered right and wrong in exceptional circumstances. But at its heart is a sweet and relatable coming-of-age narrative that's led by formidable young actor Nico Parker, who was recently awarded the Special Jury Prize for Breaking through performance at Sundance, for having undoubtedly held her own against Oscar-nominated talent like Laura Linney and Woody Harrelson, which should give you plenty of reason to seek out Suncoast when it comes to Disney Plus in the UK on the 9th of February. Action fans will want to head over to Sky Cinema this week, where filmmaker Rennie Harlan is set to debut his latest rollercoaster of a movie, The Bricklayer. 
which stars Aaron Eckhart as a retired CIA operative who's called back into action after rogue insurgent Clifton Collins Jr. begins framing the agency for a bunch of assassinations, only to uncover a much wider conspiracy in the process. An adaptation of the 2010 novel by former FBI agent Paul Lindsay, who wrote it under the pseudonym Noah Boyd, the bricklayer should give fans of Harlan's previous action classics like Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger enough entertainment to see them through until the filmmaker's ambitious trilogy of Strangers sequels, all set for release later this year. But for now, you can check this out on Sky Cinema from the 9th of February. And the big digital release this week that as of today is now available to rent or buy from most online platforms is the racing drama Race for Glory Audi vs Lancia, which tells the story of the real-life rivalry between the Audi Quattro team and the Lancia Abarth team during the 1983 World Rally Championship, and it features Daniel Bruhl in the role of Audi engineer Roland Gumpert, while Riccardo Scamarcio, who also co-wrote the script with director Stefano Mordini, is the film's other headlining performance as Lancia's leading figure, Cesar Fiorio. It's definitely a must-see for any lovers of classic car racing movies, including as recently as Michael Mann's Ferrari, and once again the film is digitally available to buy or rent now on the likes of Prime Video, Google Play, Sky Store and others. Thought that was everything on this week's menu? Well, think again, as there's a handful of cinematic re-releases to spotlight, most notably the classic screwball romantic comedy It Happened One Night, which is celebrating its 90th anniversary with an all-new digital 4K restoration. Director Frank Capra's film stars Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, the latter playing a spoiled heiress who runs away from her wealthy family and onto a bus to New York, where she hopes to reunite with her husband. But along the way, she encounters Gable as a down-on-his-luck reporter who offers to help in exchange for an exclusive story, putting the two mismatched travellers on a wacky and hilarious journey together where, inevitably, sparks fly. The film is steeped in Hollywood history from its status as the last romantic comedy released before the enforcement of the infamous Hayes Code, which for those unfamiliar was a set of censorship guidelines for motion pictures between the 30s and 60s, to its monumental Oscar Hall of what is commonly known as the Big Five, which consists of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay, something that has only been repeated two other times by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Silence of the Lambs. So don't miss your chance to check out a true cinematic classic when the 90th anniversary re-release of It Happened One Night arrives in cinemas from the 9th of February. The next re-release is of a British classic that many of you might not even have heard of. I am, of course, talking about Hong Kong filmmaker Po Chi Leong's 1986 film Ping Pong, which is often considered to be the first true Chinese-British feature for its dominantly Asian cast and a number of core themes about family and tradition. In a narrative that sees a British-born Chinese law clerk, played by Lucy Sheen, being tasked with executing the will of a prominent Chinese restaurateur, but she soon ends up acting as a go-between for the various family members who all struggle to accept the world's demands. It's a film that's rarely talked about when it comes to significant multicultural representation in British cinema, especially after it was quietly swept under the rug after a lukewarm reception at international film festivals. But its cultural legacy, including the fact that it was the first film to be shot in London's Chinatown district, is unearthed once more in time for the Year of the Dragon, so make sure you have ping pong on your list of movies to check out when it comes to cinemas from the 9th. Then we have the return of one of cinema's most expansive and imagination-grabbing sci-fi epics in recent years. It's Denis Villeneuve's Dune, the first part of the filmmaker's two-part adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic space opera novel, which introduced viewers to the story of Timothy Chalamet's Paul Atreides and his journey to becoming the prophesied saviour of the desert planet Arrakis, which is under threat by some of his family's closest enemies. 
Of course, it's back on the big screen for anyone who needs a refresher of the plot before the long-awaited second part arrives in cinemas next month. And with its truly stunning filmmaking, which includes some incredible Oscar-winning cinematography and visual effects, it's a theatrical experience that cannot be missed, so be sure to check out the first half of Dune in cinemas everywhere this weekend. And finally, getting a big screen release for the very first time is Pixar's hilarious coming-of-age comedy Turning Red, which was meant to be released in cinemas back in 2022, before the ongoing pandemic forced it to debut on Disney Plus instead. But now that cinema is well and truly back, Disney is bringing the film, as well as other COVID-era releases like Soul and Luca, to cinemas over the next few months, with the first being this Oscar-nominated delight about a young girl who suddenly finds herself transforming into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. Which which of course isn't easy for someone on the cusp of tweenhood. Directed by Dumi Shi, who won an Oscar for her animated short Bao, there's plenty of energetic animation and light-hearted laughs for the little ones and the adults to enjoy on the big screen, where a film like Turning Red ultimately belongs, so make sure you catch it there from Friday the 9th of February. So that wraps up the most stacked movie menu of 2024 to date. I know there's a lot of movies to look out for this week, but I sincerely hope that this breakdown has given you a clearer idea of what to expect, and that no matter what you end up checking out, I hope you enjoy yourself in whatever it is you do. And now for the signature course of the Film Feeder Show, it's time for my one-of-a-kind reviews. So to start off, I managed to catch an early screening of this week's big release, The Iron Claw, the new wrestling drama from writer-director Sean Durkin. And it's interesting because while there certainly hasn't been a shortage of wrestlers in movies, whether it's Dwayne Johnson or John Cena and beyond, films that are actually about wrestlers are, quite surprisingly, still fairly uncommon in mainstream cinema. I mean, sure, there's movies like Fighting With My Family, Nacho Libre, and Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, which have all put a wrestler of some kind at the centre of their story, but there's less of them than you might think as it seems that most audiences consider the dramatics outside the ring to be less entertaining than what goes on inside of it. But that certainly isn't the case with The Iron Claw, an impressively emotional family drama that is defined solely by what happens far from the ring itself, and manages to completely grip onto you tight like the finishing move of the title. So as I mentioned earlier, The Iron Claw is a semi-fictionalised tale of the Von Erichs, a notorious family of professional wrestlers who throughout the early 1980s rose to prominence within the National Wrestling Alliance. And the core athletes consist of brothers Kevin, played by Zac Efron, Kerry, who's Jeremy Allen White, David, as portrayed by Harris Dickinson, and later their more musically gifted brother Mike, played by Stanley Simons, all of whom are put under immense pressure by their domineering ex-wrestler father Pritz, who's Colt McCallany, to where he openly ranks his own sons by how much they please him with their actions in the ring, while their mother Doris, played by Maura Tierney, dutifully stands by her man. However, the family is weary of a supposed curse that has already claimed the life of one of the brothers, and very soon it rears its ugly head onto the remaining siblings in utterly tragic fashion. Even if you know going in how the real story of the Von Erich family ultimately ends, The Iron Claw still manages to be an absolute gut punch of emotion that you won't see coming, with the film doing a very good job of making you really like these brothers, including their dynamic with each other that's certainly playful and at times taunting, as brothers can be with other brothers, and as a brother myself I know this all too well. But they are still very loving and supportive of one another and their own ambitions, like for instance at one point underage Mike gets a gig performing with his band at a college party, which is far less simple 
sympathetic parents forbid him to go to. So what do his older brothers do? Well, they sneak him out at night and cheer him on as he performs to drunk college students, of course. So it's acts like this that really make you root for characters like the Von Erich brothers. And in Durkin's script, they are written so naturally that you wouldn't mind it if you spend the entire movie just watching them bounce off one another, figuratively and, once performing in the ring together, quite literally. Unfortunately, anyone who knows the Von Erich story through and through will know that spending the entire movie with all of these brothers just isn't going to be a possibility. And when that family curse hits, it hits hard. And it's even more painful after spending so much time really getting to know these characters and seeing how well they interact with each other. Like, you absolutely feel the stress and frustration that they are always under through filmmaking that creates a somewhat eerie atmosphere that rejects the pageantry and showmanship of the wrestling ring itself for something much more psychologically taxing. Like, keep an eye out in particular for one very well-edited sequence that's just the face of these brothers layered on top of one another, but I'll be damned if that isn't a perfect visual encapsulation of their shared torment. Durkin's script also lets the viewer understand exactly how and why they are so pressured, much of it having to do with their tyrannical stage parents of a father, whom incidentally Holt McCallany is excellent as, who has effectively denied each and every one of his sons the proper love and support that a father should give to his children, unless they can live up to his astronomical expectations. And as a result of their rather cold treatment by both their parents, the brothers noticeably lack a lot of social cues, particularly Zac Efron's Kevin, who, whilst meeting his future wife Pam, played by Lily James, who's very good in an otherwise underutilized role, has to be prompted by her about how to actually talk to her whilst asking her out on a date. Small but significant moments like that put their insecurities on full display and give you a truly upsetting look into their fractured souls, long before anything tragic actually unfolds. And when they eventually do, Durkin is careful to never let the tragedy of this family be exploited for cheap sentiment, instead choosing to focus on the emotional aftermath that ultimately drives some of the film's most upsetting scenes. And key to this is Zac Efron, who here gives a performance that encompasses so much regret and trauma that even his impossibly muscular body is riddled with emotion emotional vulnerability. And honestly, it's a serious shame that Efron, and indeed the Iron Claw as a whole, has been largely overlooked this award season, because it's the kind of lead performance that you could easily see dominating in any other given year, especially during the film's closing moments, which are among the very best acting that he, and indeed most other acting contenders this year, has given. It's a very well-made, well-written, and especially well-acted film that near-perfectly balances the tragedy of this wrestling dynasty with some hard-hitting themes of family and the toxic effects of overt masculinity. And in terms of wrestling movies, it's absolutely up there with the very best. And as for that very small circle of films about wrestlers, it might have just found itself the equivalent of Raging Bull, with more flamboyance and long haircuts, naturally. So, in all, The Iron Claw gets five stars from me, for it is an excellent look at the deeply tragic circumstances of the Von Erich wrestling family, whom writer-director Sean Durkin spends plenty of endearing time with before delivering gut punch after gut punch of upsetting scenes that are brilliantly conveyed, especially through Zac Efron's criminally overlooked lead performance. And now I'm excited to share my thoughts on last week's big release, which was director Matthew Vaughan's new spy caper, Argyle, which since its release has seen a rather mixed response from critics and audiences, with some calling it a fun bit of escapism, while others think of it as a convoluted mess. So where do I stand on this film? Well, listen on to find out. 
Shrouded in secrecy since it was first announced, only that it was based on a yet-to-be-published book by an unknown author named Ellie Conway, and that it would have an ensemble cast to die for, I believe that this film would, rather ironically, make for a pretty good spy in real life. After all, much like an actual secret agent, it plays its cards so close to the chest that they're practically stitched onto the skin, only playing its hand right as things seem relaxed enough to do so, and in the process fulfills its prime directive of being a rather fun and entertaining movie that genuinely keeps you guessing throughout most of it. Just one of its many closely played cards is the fact that the supposed author of the Argyle novel, Ellie Conway, is not actually a real person, or at least not the real name of the otherwise mysterious author. Conway is in fact the lead character in this movie, as played by Bryce Dallas Howard, wherein she is a successful novelist who has penned a series of popular books about fictional secret agent Argyle, portrayed in sequences by Henry Cavill, and his international escapades with right-hand man Wyatt, who's John Cena. However, whilst on a train journey to visit her mother Ruth, played by Catherine O'Hara, she encounters Sam Rockwell's Aiden, who claims to be a real spy, and promptly saves her from an attempted assassination. Aiden later explains that Conway's fiction has somehow aligned with actual missions by a secret government organisation known as The Division, headed by the ruthless Ritter, as played by Brian Cranston, and that they are now after Ellie to stop her from inadvertently revealing some dirty info on the agency. Now Ellie must join Aiden on an actual mission where nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, is as it seems. I'll refrain from divulging any further plot details because there are certain twists and turns that do not deserve to be spoiled for you during this or indeed any review. What I will say though is that Argyle keeps Matthew Vaughan's playful approach to the spy genre very much alive, following his stylish espionage-esque take on X-Men First Class, and of course his three Kingsman movies to date, with another reported to be in the works. While this film doesn't go as hard or even as graphic, since Bourne is clearly aiming for a wider audience this time with its PG-13, 12A rating, it does retain a lot of that visceral and almost hypnotic fight choreography which, at times, feels like you're watching a slightly more violent ballet set to Vaughan's bouncy and light-hearted direction. It gets pretty colourful as well, particularly with a couple of fantastically executed sequences that, again, I'll keep under wraps, but needless to say, you'll know exactly which ones I mean when you see them. The action scenes in general are extremely enjoyable to watch, whether they're in the fictitious and intentionally cheesy spy world of Henry Cavill's Argyle, who at one point chases Dua Lipa literally through the streets of Greece in a tiny moke car, or the slightly grittier but no less heightened reality that Bryce Dallas Howard's Ellie suddenly finds herself in. On that note, don't let the marketing fool you into thinking that Cavill is the lead in this movie, though that's clearly by design, as he is a supporting player at best in what is largely a two-hander between Howard and Sam Rockwell, the latter playing this more jaded and more world-weary older spy that's a neat parallel to many of the cooler and collected figures in the genre, and the chemistry between the two lead actors is a lot of fun, reminiscent of Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas in Romancing the Stone, a film that Argyle as a whole, again without giving anything away, owes a lot of its inspiration to, albeit with a few tricks up its own sleeve. And yes, Rockwell does indeed dance in this movie, quite a few times actually, because if Sam Rockwell dances, even when the movie is bad, you know that it's going to be a good time. While Vaughn's overall execution is solid, Argyle occasionally struggles to completely hold your attention, and that's because the script, by Jason Fuchs, presents a rather complicated and at times convoluted narrative that you need to have razor-sharp focus in order to pick up on what exactly is happening at any given moment. This can be trickier than you might think, because there's a lot of exposition dialogue that drops a significant amount of plot points all at once, enough to tangle them all up together and make it harder to pull them apart and analyse them one by one, and also means that there are surprisingly long 
stretchers where there isn't any of that invigorating action, with the time instead being spent on delivering more and more exposition on top of one another, and after a little while you're eager for the story to move on to the next big action beat in order to get its pacing back on track. However, when it eventually does regain its footing, Argyle is a sizable blast of enjoyment. There are some reveals that are quite unexpected and make the stakes and relationships ever more concerning, and the deeper it goes into some of its biggest secrets, it's fun seeing exactly how Vaughn and Fuchs unravel the mystery without going too far beyond the realm of its own reality. The ensemble cast, which also includes some lively turns by Samuel R. Jackson, Ariana DeBose and Sophia Butella, are all clearly enjoying themselves and deliver plenty of crowd-pleasing moments that certainly made my audience go crazy a couple of times. Most of all, it's just pure, unadulterated fun that only occasionally stretches its limits, particularly within the narrative department, but not too much to where Argyle becomes a farce, or even worse, a self-aware jab at typical spy movie conventions. Because as with Vaughn's Kingsman movies, it never takes itself too seriously, and just focuses on giving the audience as enjoyable a time as it possibly can, while still being a very entertaining spy movie in its own right, with the director's clear love for the genre shining through an eye-popping and very well-choreographed fashion. So yeah, I'm definitely in the camp of thinking that Argyle is decent entertainment, one that I'll give four stars for being a very enjoyable spy caper that sees director Matthew Vaughan continue to play around within the spy movie genre to largely pleasing effect, even if at times a script by Jason Fuchs struggles to keep its own momentum going, but be sure not to give away some of its most shocking secrets which deserve to be experienced on their own. Well, I think that's a good enough place to end this week's show. Thank you so much for sticking around and hearing what I have to say about this week's films. And I look forward to doing it for you all over again next week when I'll be spreading the love on a special Valentine's Day episode. Until then, make sure you're following Film Feeder on all the socials in the episode description and that you've given the show a good like and follow on whatever audio platform you're listening to it on, as well as a nice review to show your support. As ever, I'm your film chef extraordinaire, Jack Martin, ready to whet your appetite for film each and every week. That's all for now, see you next time.